Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to milwaukeemafia.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back. It seems like it's been a while since we did it this. It does. It's so long. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He was he was jonesing for it, right? I like really I, was. I got a podcast. Yeah, I really was. It's true. So it sounds like we got another short one for you today. It's pretty short. It's so, pretty short. Um, it's a very self-contained. So uh, it's pretty short. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw in I'll throw in my comments here and there, but the notes themselves aren't very long. So what are we talking about today? This is a one-time thing uh, that happened in February 1963. The newspaper interviewed. Frank Balistrieri, and then they followed it up with an interview of the police chief. Interesting. So this is just a little public back and forth that they had. Okay. Uh, it's very, like I said, very self-contained. It's a total of like three days. So Interesting. All right, take her away. Okay, so in the Sunday edition of the Milwaukee Journal on February 10th, 1963, Frank Balistrieri told the newspaper that he would like his police record opened to the newspaper to clear up the ongoing allegations against him because he was always getting called out in public and saying like, oh, this guy's bad, blah, blah, blah. He's like, check out my record. My record is good. (laughs) He tells them, there is no justification for the bad publicity I've been getting. Sometimes I'm embarrassed for my friends and the entertainers working for me. I'm strictly a family man. I work seven days a week. I work hard. I don't gamble. I don't take vacations. If the police can prove any of their allegations, I'll be willing to get out of business immediately. I would be even willing to go away, as far away as China. However, (laughs) Wow, he's really, really... (laughs) Yeah. However, if the allegations cannot be proved, I want the police to leave me alone and operate my business like any other businessman does without police interference. The newspaper asked about whether or not he owned Gallagher's. He said, well, I do spend a lot of time at Gallagher's because I have to have a place to go. I know a lot of entertainers and help book the shows for my younger brother, Peter, who runs Gallagher's. Over at the Downtowner, which is the only tavern that I run, there are only 20 stools. No food is served at the Downtowner, so I spend a lot of time at Gallagher's, so I have a place to eat. Now, this is... We know that he actually does own Gallagher's, correct? Uh, I mean, yeah. It's this is one of those weird things where he's he's probably being honest on a technicality, but we know that his brother's name is just on the paperwork. Okay, so it is a because he says my brother runs Gallagher's, but that but his brother is actually the one that his name's on all the paperwork as the owner of Gallagher's. Yeah. Okay. Like, the, to get around the rules in Milwaukee that you could only have so many licenses and things like that, other people had their name on the licenses. But 
It's pretty clear that like he made all the management decisions. He had access to the cash register, all this and that. So like you can you can say that he's not lying, but it's you know, it's whatever. <laughs> it's not really true either. It's not really <laughs> true. But you know, but this all comes around to also like is this that big of a deal? I mean, what he's doing here is he's skirting licensing laws. Like, mm. it's not like he's trying to be super secret about it. You know, everybody kind of knows, like, oh, like, yeah, it's in my brother's name. He's, like, not really hiding it. It's just, it's a licensing issue, so. I'm curious, do we know, did he, he approach the newspaper for this article to, because he, he was getting fed up with being constantly harassed? That's a good question. Or, I don't know whether they approached him or he approached them. I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. I was just curious but how this all got started. And then, you know, because I assume the newspaper after this article is written goes back to the police chief and says, hey, he's saying all this stuff. What, what do you have to say about right. it? And, but anyways, continue on. Yeah. So the newspaper <clears throat> pointed out that the city directory said that Buster Balistrieri, uh was a manager at Gallagher's. Balistrieri, Frank Balistrieri, said that this was incorrect. Buster had worked as a maintenance man and mechanic, but that was about it. Balistrieri told the reporters that allegations of organized crime were strictly political and that Milwaukee was one of the cleanest cities in the United States, as far as he knew. He claimed to have absolutely no interest in the jukebox industry. At one time, I owned 200 machines when I operated Citywide Amusement Company, but I sold out in 1943, which would be... 20 years ago at this point, and entered the cinder and hauling business with my father. So I'll pause there for a moment. Again, strictly speaking, this is true. Like, he had citywide amusement. He got out of that. He did go into the cinder and hauling trucking business with his father. That is true, but it's also not true. <laughs> Because as we know at this point, he's actively buying and refurbishing jukeboxes for resale. So he's in the jukebox business. Like, mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's quite at this point yet. So maybe th at this point it's strictly speaking true. But we definitely know that if not yet soon, he does run jukebox routes just under other people's names. Okay. So... Maybe he's skirting by on a technicality here, too, but he has to be very careful with his words. And now, why? But, but again, it's a licensing thing. So. Yeah. Okay. So, why Why does Is it like something having to do with you can't be a bar owner and be in the jukebox business? That's exactly okay. what it is. Okay. Gotcha. Well done, sir. <laughs> that is exactly what the license issue was. Gotcha. You cannot own a bar and. Had have jukeboxes at the same time. I mean, you could own the one that's in your bar, mm -hmm. but beyond that, and I, and I have no idea why that's the rule, but all right. He said he knew many people because he had been in business so long. He says, yes, there are people who you could call hoodlums who I know, but I'm also, I also know such prominent folks as Supreme Court justices. He denied that Frank Stallone was on his payroll but did say Stallone had worked for him in 1960 when he briefly owned the Gallagher Meat Company in the 2400 block of North 3rd Street before selling it. Stallone was a hard worker who never touches liquor and sticks only to 7-Up. I don't think we've really talked about Frank Stallone. 
Um, so he's like, he's kind of a muscle guy in the mob. He's not strictly speaking a mafia guy because he's Polish. He's not Italian. Um, but he, the reason he comes up at this point is because he just got out of Wapan prison and immediately getting out, he goes to work for, for the, you know, the bars and clubs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's already like on the radar because he had a bad record before he even got out of prison, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why that name comes up. Um, I do find it interesting that the name of his meat company is Gallagher Meat Company, <laughs> and there's he's got the bar Gallagher's, which he doesn't own, his brother owns. Um, I don't know what the deal with Gallagher is. <laughs> I don't know why that's the name. That, it must mean something if they've used it repeatedly, <laughs> but I don't know what that means to them. Regarding the Paracorporation, uh, I am secretary of the company. It's a packaging firm. I own about 25% of the stock. Um, that is accurate. Um, Para is where they were building like the bubble gun for a while, and now it's where okay. they're now it's where they're refurbishing the jukeboxes. Okay. So that is accurate. He does own about 25% of the stock. Bellistry claimed not to have seen Felix Eldericio in about six or seven years. That is probably very false. <laughs> Bellistry said he attended church at St. Rita's Catholic Church and was a member of the St. Joseph's Home for Children Athletic Association. I'm sure those are true. Um, but yeah, the Felix Elder, there's no way he hadn't seen him in six <laughs> or seven years. And what what is the basis of that? Why do you say that that's not possible? I bet if I checked my notes, I could find where he was witnessed meeting him. But even even so, like that just doesn't make any sense. I, we know these guys are friends going back 20-plus years. Um, Elder Rizzio is, is the godfather of his eldest son. Uh, th this strikes me as unbelievable that, like, his primary contact in Chicago, he hasn't seen in seven years. Mm -hmm. I, I don't buy it. I, I, would, I would suspect it's rare they go more than six months. Okay. So... Um, I don't have anything like with me at this moment to disprove that comment, but it just seems really absurd to me to claim that. But I mean, on the whole, I think like if you had, if you were like in court, I think what he said here is true. I think he was just really careful about how he said it. So, so that, he kind of skirted lines, but for the most part, if they were to like fact check this, they would probably be like, "Oh, it doesn't look like he's really lying about anything." Right. But I, but again, I, I want to stress, like, in support of Frank Belstrey, I would like to stress <laughs> the big things they're accusing him of are licensing violations. Right. They're not like saying, "Hey, you're a bank robber." Hey, you're a, a you know a child molester. They're not making these horrible claims about him. They're saying that he's, like, bending the rules on how his bar is licensed, which is, like, in, in the world of, like, major crime, that ranks pretty low. <laughs> so, And I'm sure we could probably go out if we understood the bar laws in Wisconsin right now. There's probably plenty of people out there bending those to make right. things work for them, per right. se. <laughs> which, you know, like, I get it. Like, I get that that's a thing. But it's funny that... You can get such major headlines if that's the primary crime <laughs> the police are concerned about. But either way. Okay. So a couple of days later, 
Uh, the newspaper talks to uh, Chief Howard Johnson, um, who is not a hotel or a restaurant. <laughs> he, is, he is a police chief. Well played, sir. Um, <laughs> I don't get, and I don't know if they approached him or if he approached them. I don't know which way it went. But either way, they wanted his side of the story. Um, he replied to Bellstreet's statements concerning the police. He said the police would continue to watch Bellstreet closely as long as he associates with undesirable characters and allows strip teasers to mingle with male patrons and hustle drinks. But he wanted to make clear that we have no racket problem in Milwaukee. Therefore, calling Bellstreet or anyone else in Milwaukee the king of the rackets, um, as Sandy Smith, a Chicago Tribune reporter, Mm-hmm. Um, had done was unjustified. I don't know of any complaint of anyone being muscled or paying extortion in Milwaukee. Relative to gambling, I haven't known Bellstreet as having ever been in a gambling house or being a gambler. Our policemen never observed Bellstreet's car at any place alleged to be a gambling house. So, here, now the police chief is being <laughs> is being really careful with his words. Because what he's saying, again, strictly speaking, true. Mm-hmm. They haven't seen him in a gambling house. They haven't seen him gambling. That's true. Mm-hmm. They have seen him uh, connected to the bookies in town. So, like, the way he's phrasing it is like, oh, he doesn't go out and gamble. Well, no, he doesn't. But that's not the thing that you're watching him for. You're watching him for because he's taking the payoffs from the gamblers. So the chief is the chief is being careful not to like say bad things because it's you know it's in the public paper. He could get sued for that. Mm-hmm. But he's careful in how he says it in that he's not actually talking about the thing that they are watching him for. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's. If you read it like at face value, it sounds like he's saying, oh, yeah, 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 Frank's fine. He's not doing anything wrong. That's not at all what he's saying. He's just being really careful about how he says it. (laughs) Johnson answered a number of other questions for the journal, acknowledging that intelligence files did exist on Balistrieri and that they cannot be released. He denied any underworld or organized crime presence in Milwaukee and maintained that Balistrieri has always been courteous and a gentleman when the two had met. Uh, I'm surprised that he admits that intelligence files even exist, but, you know, but he does. (laughs) Um, The denying the underworld and organized crime presence in Milwaukee, that that to me is just blatantly dishonest. Um, Because, you know, we we see that in in the police files, we see it, and definitely in the FBI files, we see the FBI agents talking to the detectives in Milwaukee about it. So I, I guess it's possible the chief doesn't know, no, but. but I think that's that's pretty <laughs> unlikely because the detectives clearly know, okay. you know, because they're sharing information with the FBI and they know why they're looking into it. It's not like they don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that strikes me as a really weird thing to say that there's no organized crime presence because that's that's contrary to what the police are doing like what they're actively investigating but you can completely understand why they would hold back that information just to not send people in milwaukee maybe into a frenzy no i i i get it it's just it's that's a weird way to phrase it and i guess the other question i would ask is 
do you know, like, what is the mindset in Milwaukee right now? Do most people in Milwaukee are completely oblivious to any of the, the fact any of this is going on? Or is Frank Balistrieri and the mob pretty much a known thing? Like, I think it's a known thing. I'm trying to recall what the timeline is. It's either 62 or 63. So it either recently happened or it's about to happen where they have the big Senate hearings in Washington and the, the senator investigating, the head of the committee, like actually goes on record publicly and names the heads of the different families. Like this isn't just like a local rumor thing. Like it's either already public or shortly will, will be, be public, public that like people in Washington, D.C. are discussing him as one of the heads <laughs> of the mob. So it, it's not just Milwaukee police harassing him. There's... It's it's bigger than that, and it's definitely like in the public consciousness. Hmm. Okay. And Milwaukee, always important to stress, Milwaukee is a small town. You know, it's a big small town, but it's a small town. So like, it's people don't not know things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you can't you can't go around and say, and even today, he's been um, gone, deceased for thirty years. And people still know his name. Yeah. Like it's not like it, it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, like a big part of the public consciousness. We have no information. This is the chief speaking. We have no information of any Chicago crime syndicate operating here or having any influence on Milwaukee activities. Neither do we have any knowledge of a Milwaukee underworld or about any bonds between Balistrieri and the crime chiefs of Kansas City and Chicago. We conducted an intensive investigation in 1957 and again in 1961 and found nothing to indicate a financial tie-up on record between Balistrieri and out-of-state interests. There likewise is no police evidence that Chicago gangsters linked to Balistrieri have established themselves here as loan sharks and jukebox racketeers, as reported by Sandy Smith. I don't know what he's getting at here. We know this is false. We know that he definitely has a direct link to Chicago and Kansas City. Like, that's not really in question. But I think, doesn't he say, maybe I misunderstood it, but doesn't, don't they say no financial connection? Yeah, I think, I think this might be like, again, he's being careful with how he phrases it because we couldn't find a financial tie up on record, um, which, if you take that literally, that's like we didn't find a piece of paper where both of their names are on something owning it. Mm-hmm. That's like that's the literal way to read that. And like that's a super strict narrow thing to be looking for. Yeah, but I mean just because obviously Frank Balistrieri knows people from Kansas City and knows people from Chicago. But I mean yeah. there's nothing illegal about that. No, there's they, nothing they, illegal they about that. They have to prove and I think it almost sounds like what, with what he's saying here is he's trying to calm down the thought that the Chicago Mafia is coming up to Milwaukee and taking over with the help of Frank Bell. I think that's fair. Which, which I mean, for the most part, we know is probably not very factual whatsoever. There was never a time where, you know, Chicago was pushing into Milwaukee, correct? Right, right. I mean, it was pretty much always separate. Right. So yeah, it's it is kind of funny because it, the chief he here he has to play it like both ways. He has to play where on one hand 
his detectives are working hard, they're doing their job, they're getting to the bottom of things. But on the other hand, he has to say, hey, Milwaukee's safe, there's not a problem, don't worry about it. Yeah. And, and the same, the same th- I mean, you can use that for, for anything, like, you know, let's, let's say meth. <laughs> right <laughs> like on the on the one hand like if you're like the chief of police you got to tell the city like hey we got guys out there every day they're busting the meth dealers we're keeping we're keeping things good on the other hand you have to say meth isn't really a big deal you have to say <laughs> meth the city doesn't have a meth problem your kids are fine don't don't right. worry about it you can sleep at night so like while you while you have to say it's safe you have to also acknowledge you are actively combating a problem that you don't have. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't blame the chief. I'm actually really surprised that he even would go on the record about this kind of stuff, like admitting the intelligence files. Like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. That's weird. I think the only reason why he probably did that, and you read the articles, right? Yeah. So, can you tell in the article? Did the uh, reporter directly directly asked that question because I think that's the only way he admits to that. It is mostly it is mostly very direct specific questions. Yeah, so that would be the only way way I would see him because you know if you're directly asked that question, you can't really lie because that could come back to bite you in the in the future. Yeah. Know? So and the only other piece is that uh, the chief pointed out that the city ordinance. As it existed, as it passed in 1958, so like five years earlier, all jukebox operators must be licensed and fingerprinted and must be residents of the county. So the point he wants to stress here, one, they're fingerprinted, meaning these guys do not have a criminal background. But two, because they're residents of the county, they're clearly not guys from Chicago coming up and pushing in. They have to have Milwaukee residents hmm. to be an operator in Milwaukee. I have no idea what the current ordinance looks like. I have to feel this has been loosened up. Yeah, you would think so, because this really isn't an issue. We're not worried about Chicago coming up and taking over the gaming industry in Milwaukee anymore. Right, right. <laughs> they probably already have for yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah, and I'm not, so I'm not super familiar with the rules in Milwaukee, but I but I do know, I do know where we live in, in northeast Wisconsin. There's a certain company, which I shall not name, but it's really <laughs> easy to look up. <laughs> That pretty much runs all the jukeboxes and game equipment throughout the entire northeast Wisconsin area. So uh, they're they're clearly not confined to county borders up here. And I'm assuming they're probably not even really based in this area, right? No, they are. They're in in Menasha. Okay. So they're they're like headquarters in Menasha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So the biggest question I have with this is, and I'm just hearing your notes. And yeah, I I didn't read the articles, but the just, article is very so close to the notes. Like, I mean, I didn't really cut stuff. But based on what you have in your notes, it sounds like would you say both of these people were so heavily coached before <laughs> going into these interviews? Maybe you know what I mean. Because I, don't, it, I wouldn't say that the chief was coached. I think the chief. Part of being a police chief is you are a politician. You know, you wouldn't normally say that a police chief is a politician. It's a weird thing to say. 
but you know that you kind of are because you're the public relations guy and whatever. So I don't think he had to be coached. I think he knows how, yeah, how to mean, handle the media. Yeah. It just seems like while it just the way he treaded lines, yeah. both of them treaded lines, but just went far enough to like get a point across, but not too far where yeah. they could get themselves Now, whether Frank was coached or not, I don't know. He is not someone who often talks to the media. I mean, he talks more to the media than he probably should, <laughs> but it's not like it's, he's regularly out there. But whether he was coached or not, or he's just been doing this long enough that like he knows what he has to say. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And that could be, it's just, I, and they both could just be very elegant in, in their, their ways of doing. Yeah. It's just, but it, it it is, it is funny to me that like these was like two front page giant, like these articles are long Mm -hmm. and cause I cut out all the part where they talk about their background and all this and I cut all that out. People were like fascinated with this. They really wanted to read about it. But like, again, I'm going to stress this one more time. You boil this down, and what they're accusing him of is, is owning something that his name isn't on. And it isn't that he's trying to hide that. Oh, you secretly own Gallagher's. <laughs> like, he's going to be like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, no, dude. Like, he admits it. Like, yeah, my brother owns it. I hang out there all the time. <laughs> so it's like, it's not like it's super secret. It's just because of licensing issues, he can't put his own name on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a weird thing, and there's like I don't even think that's that weird. Uh, I I have an uncle, and I you know, and he's and he's still alive. So normally I don't talk about living people, but but I don't think this is a big secret. So I think I could say it. <laughs> I have an uncle, and uh, he used to own a bar. Everybody knew it was his bar, but the license was in his wife's name because he had a criminal conviction, so he could not own the tavern license. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's uncommon. Yeah. I think that's extremely common. Common, yeah. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, he's got a hidden interest in the bar. Like, no, everybody knew it was his bar. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't be licensed for it. Yeah. And, yeah, and and it's just weird that, I do you know what kind of turbulent, like, what was going on at this point in time that would make him go to the newspaper and say, like, because he's kind of going there saying, like, look, this is the deal. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. What would have been going on that he would have been getting so much pressure? I think this is still coming out of... So this is February 1963. And I think this is still coming out of the Tony Burnett kidnapping. Because that was in January 63. So that was just a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it's coming out of that. Because between... The kidnapping and then several weeks go by before they actually find the body. I think there was a lot of press. There was a lot of press coverage um, about people moving in, trying to force people out of the jukebox industry. And although they weren't able to directly connect him to that, I think his name comes up a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I'm guessing that a large part of this is growing out of that and the concern that if you own a jukebox route, you your life is now at risk. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'm, I'm thinking it's directly connected to that. And that's probably affecting all lines of his business heavily by right. having all this news coverage. So he's like, come on, let's put an end to this. So right. I can go back to my normal life. Which is why he's very clear that I do not own a jukebox route. That's why he wants to, <laughs> he wants to make this clear. Like, 
I didn't I didn't kill that guy. I didn't order that guy killed. I'm not in the jukebox business. I don't want his route, which I don't think is accurate, but I understand why that he wants to press that point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. So do you got anything else for this episode or? No, not really. Uh, like I said, it's pretty self-contained. It's, um, and is know, this the- I guess I could have thrown in background on, on the police chief or something, but really this is, this little back and forth is, I just thought was interesting in itself. And is this an isolated incident of kind of a, like a go between, go back and forth between I think Frank so. Balistrieri. We're not going to run into more of these in the future. Cause I don't think so. If we do, I mean, then I'll definitely make a point of uh, having it. But, but I can't recall there really being a thing like He might have like a long interview again in the future. That may happen. But I don't recall there ever being another back and forth, forth like that. Because like co- that's just kind of a neat dynamic. So it's kind of... Cool if that would happen over and over again. So yeah, but. and actually around we're not going to talk about this. So I guess I'll I can throw this out there. Around this same time, Dominic Frenzy, the quote unquote mob attorney, is on like a local talk show, and he ends up like getting in fights like on the talk show, calling calling the other like prosecutors like idiots <laughs> and everything else, and being like. Being like, why are you going after all these guys? What's your deal? And all this stuff. Because around this time, not only is like this sort of thing happening because of the jukebox thing, this is they have an ongoing John Doe investigation into gambling in Milwaukee. And and basically Frenzy is like the attorney for everybody that's mm-hmm. being investigated. And he's like, This whole thing is a bunch of crap, you know. And depending on how you feel about that, I mean, I guess it could be. But they do end up indicting a bunch of guys because of it. So, have you ever seen the actual footage of this? No. Of this talk show? No, I'd love to, though. That would be cool. I wonder, have you ever seen if you could find it on, like, on YouTube or something like that? I don't know. It's possible. A few years ago, I would have said no way. But it started to happen where um, WTMJ has been posting, like, old news footage online. And I think even their archives aren't great because a lot of the news footage they post doesn't have audio. Mm-hmm. So you just have to kind of like guess what's going on. <laughs> um, but but it is starting to come out there. So it might be. So it, it might exist. Yeah. Because that would just be fun to see. So. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But I do I do like seeing that. There's like, you can find, if you go on YouTube and you Google it, you can find like there's where the prosecutor is talking about when Frank was indicted for his tax problems. And you can't tell what the guy is saying because there's no audio. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's but it's still kind of fun to watch because, you know, they, they do like the B-roll and they show like Frank walking out of court and stuff. So it's it's cool images. It's really good that they, they maintained that. But apparently their archive wasn't great, great about keeping all the pieces. But who knows? So, and maybe it's just a matter of time yeah. Maybe before they maybe get it it'll turn up. I mean, you got to imagine that when you're creating new segments every day, there's got to be a massive archive. <laughs> totally. So, all right. With that, we can wrap this episode up. As always, we do have a Patreon. You can find that at MilwaukeeMafia.com, or you can go to Patreon.com/slash/MilwaukeeMafia. And Gavin, where can people reach out to you at? Oh, they can. Reach out to me at uh, MilwaukeeMafia.com where they'll find links there. Or they can go directly to MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com where I 
sometimes answer my emails. <laughs> I'm pretty good about it. I a lot better than uh, if you had tried to reach through Facebook. That never got answered. But the uh, Gmail is pretty good. So. So reach out to us there. We will be back next week with a Patreon episode and two weeks with another Mafia episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.